G'day, here at the Regenerative Journey, part of our goal is to educate our followers on the benefits of knowing where their food comes from and the knock-on effects this can have on our health, our environment and our future generations. Understanding the connection has never been more important and in the spirit of this endeavour, we have teamed up with Highland Beef Pastoral Company, a grass-fed beef supply chain servicing the growing US grass-fed consumer market, who I'm excited to announce are our Season 6 show sponsors. Essentially, this Australian-based business places cattle on their member graziers' properties at no expense to the farmer and provides competitive returns for every kilo of beef produced, allowing their graziers to focus on improving their businesses in a capital-free and risk-free environment. Highland Beef Graziers are some of the best grass and animal managers in the country. Livestock are humanely and lovingly cared for while on their farms and customers are guaranteed a very high-quality, regeneratively managed grass-fed and finished product with full transparency from farm to plate. If you're interested in finding out more about this program, visit hbpastoral.com.au forward slash Charlie Arnott. The difference and the advantage that regenerative agriculture has over industrial agriculture is these unique personal stories that are backed by science as well, you know, and understanding exactly what's going into their practices, the land management that they're using, And some of the results, I mean, the outcomes that we're seeing are just phenomenal. That was Brock Hatton, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer and in this podcast series I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host Charlie Arnott. G'day and welcome back to The Regenerative Journey, uh, episode three of season six. Uh, very excited to be back uh, with you for another another wonderful episode, another guest, Brock Hatton from Chief, which I will get to a little bit later on for a, oh, after. I have a bit of a aroma. Um, not too long this time. I'm just conscious I don't want to bore the crap out of anyone with me banging on about what my views, view, views and news in the world. Um, one thing that was I thought it was worth mentioning was um, uh, interesting news from what is it maybe a week ago now. So, so you're hearing this probably, or oh, maybe a month after it probably happened, a bit more. Um, the chappie from Patagonia who um, who created Patagonia, I, I guess owner founder, um, gave his gave the company. Um, as they're saying, to the earth. So I don't know about the legals of all that and, and, and so on. And, look, it, you know, outwardly, and I'm sure, you know, reasonably inwardly as well, outwardly is, oh, 
I'll turn my video on. Didn't st- did, I should have done that, shouldn't I? Um, outwardly is, seems to be a lovely thing to do. That he has, it's a, I think it's a um, billion dollar business at least, and he has committed essentially the profits from that um, from the business, uh, as they're saying, to the earth. Now, what? Um, what I'm really interested to know, and someone may know, and I'm happy for you to DM me or write comments somewhere, uh, is know how that's going to be spent. Um, I also believe that he kind of did something else that uh, meant that he he didn't avoid tax, which is a lovely thing. To, well, I mean, I mean, one should always avoid paying tax legally. Like if you don't have to pay tax, why would you? Um, but I also understand that he has... Um, yeah, not. Yeah. There was potentially a legal loophole he could have he could have um, leveraged to not pay tax. But anyway, he's paying tax and he's done what he's done. My point being, sorry for the ramble, is that um, I'd love to know how the money's going to be spent. I was just watching something on on the socials the other day, and someone was had the, the same question. Well, he was actually being a bit more um, pointed about the whole thing. Uh, you know, are those fun- how are they going to be spent? I mean, if the if the profits, which I imagine would be in the tens of millions, um, hundreds of millions potentially, um, be be used um, by the earth or for the earth to better the um, the environment, I guess. I mean, again, I'm a bit vague on kind of the intentional or how what the intention is to use those funds. Who are they going to be given to to then be spent? You know, is it going to be supporting political parties that have very strong views on the environment, individuals, businesses. Um, this I don't know, and again, I'll be welcome anyone who has some insight into any of that, whether that's been that's reasonably public or not. Uh, that is my question, because if it's kind of, I mean, I know everyone's pretty pretty clear if you've listened to these rants before and Instagram and so on. My views on eating crickets and the you know rolling out of crickets into schools and there's some sort of saying there's some sort of an offset if we all eat more crickets we don't eat more meat we we eat less meat sorry and that's going to be good for the environment which is just stinks the whole thing's bollocks about you know cattle being a problem anyway and methane being a problem um, let's stop talking about the one way traffic um, of methane as lots of people tend to talk sort of highlight. And there is a cycle. There's a methane cycle. Walter Yenner, who's um, he's on one of my guests, later in the season is going to squash any myths about all that. So look forward to that one. Uh, so, you know, is that money going to be spent um, supporting initiatives, so-called initiatives or projects like that? Let's grow more crickets and eat more crickets or bugs. Um, you know, is that going to be supporting things like electric car production and, you know, the, which essentially supports the mining of lithium and other rare earth metals? Um, yeah, this is these are my questions. As I said, on the outset, it was like, oh, he's going to donate it to the earth. Well, that's great, but it's got to be – someone's got to spend it. Individuals, companies, and, you know, will be spending and be funded um, uh, to, dare I say, save the planet. But I just – I'm just hesitant as to, you know – well, I just don't understand, uh, and I hesitate to get too excited about it. That um, is just how, you know, the, 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 where's the mon- where's the rubber hit the road on this? You know, what what are we going to see in ten years' time? You know, if someone did an audit on that money that was generated, the, the profits made by Patagonia and where that went, I'd love just love to see that. Even twelve months. Let's have a look at where it went in twelve months. Is it political parties? Is it into growing more 
you know, GMO crops, plant-based stuff? Is it going into more bug factories? Uh, yeah, as I said, electric cars, renewable energies, whatever. Just love to see that because is it really saving the planet is in the best interest of the planet or is it ultimately, again, going to be in the best interest of, you know, a few people or a few big conglomerates um, pushing some sort of agenda? That's what I reckon. I just don't know. If, I just don't know. It's as, it's as um, I'm sure Mr. Mr. Patagonia had um, very good intentions. Um well, I trust he does, uh, but again, just not sure where that's all heading. One fella, one one comment this guy made the other day, which was interesting. Again, was you know this was giving this is giving away private business, um, not so much, well maybe maybe properties involved as well, but giving it to um, whether that's giving it some in part to government for spending or giving it to, I mean giving it to the earth, but who actually owns it then? That's the question. You know, is this kind of like a very public step towards um, we, the general public, should be thinking about um, doing similar things? You know, are we going to be asked or suggested or prompted, coerced into giving away other things? You know, do we give away parcels of land as farmers to um, so-called sequest carbon on when a lot of farmers are doing wonderful things with carbon sequestration anyway? Um, Are we going to give away our rights to... You know, I don't know, autonomy around where we spend our dollars. You know, will we be sort of ultimately, um, you know, audited ourselves? You know, on, you know, if you, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, um, it, maybe publicly, maybe privately, um, you know, the spending that we, what are we spending it on as a family in Sydney, suburban Sydney? What are we spending our money on? And is that actually, in some theoretical way, generating more carbon that we have to then offset somehow? Um, and to do so, do we have to give things away, whether it's our privacy, whether it's whether it's literally, you know, as a farmer, it might be some props, some land. It's, um, I don't know, giving away our right to use a, a petrol car. I don't know. I don't know. And this is and this is not sort of conspiracy. This is like just general inquiry. I'm, I'm just interested to know if anyone's got some insight into that. Um, be nice to have some forum for people um, on the back of these podcasts to, that's an idea. To, um, to to sort of comment on it, you can comment in the um, in the platform you're on. Uh, I don't always, I, I'm not notified when that happens. Uh, maybe there's a page. We'll just go to uh, just well, I don't know. Maybe YouTube's a good place because these videos do go on YouTube. These interviews, maybe that's the place to put it. It's probably it's more it's more centralised there. I better write that down. Um, that's probably enough aroma from me. It's eight minutes nearly now. Um, and who's next? Uh, this was for Brock. Brock Haddon, founder, co-founder of Chief. We Are Chief is their website. Um, and they are wonderful. I've known Brock for some years now. The guys have come down to Hannah Minow. It was actually just at the end of the, the, the last horrible drought. So it must have been like December or January. Might have been January, mid-January 2020. Horrible, horrible. It was only a couple of weeks away from, you know, the, the, um, if, that, if that's what I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, that was when it was. It was just it was only a couple of weeks or a month away from the end of that horrible couple of years of drought or extended dry period. Uh, these guys um, do wonderful things, and you know, listen to the episode. Of course, you're about to, <clears throat> but you know, the 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 reason why Brock or his group of buddies that started Chief, you know, they got into not just making, you know, good nutritious proteinaceous snacks from uh, from 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 beef you know, animal protein um, but why and how they got to a point of um, 
advocating for consumption and supporting farmers who are doing it regeneratively, growing beef and, and lamb and, you know, meat generally regeneratively. Uh, it's, a really, it's, a, it's a really good yarn. You know, he's gone from, well, I won't spoil it, he, it was a bit of a turnaround from his training, his university days and his um, subsequent um, career to, to, to what he's doing now. But you've got all that to listen to in just a few seconds, really. If I stop talking, it's only going to be a few seconds away. And I trust that you enjoy this interview with Brock Haddon as much as um, I did, review, uh, reviewing, interviewing him at his home in Sydney uh, not that very long ago. Enjoy, Brock Haddon. Okay, Brock. Or broccoli. 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 <laughs> Brocky, do you? To your loved ones and friends. Um, welcome to the Regenerative Journey. Thank you, mate. That number there shouldn't be so red. Maybe I'm too close. Um, and welcome to the the front room, the lounge room, the sort yes. of the, bre- the breakfast lounge area. And dining, yes. At, um, at your house yeah. in Kalani Heights. Mm, that's right. In Sydney. And we are, for those who don't know Sydney or Kalani Heights, we're kind of near Middle Harbour. Is that, you're between Middle Harbour and kind of where? Yeah, we're kind of in between North Shore and Northern Beaches. <clears throat> so we yes. Sort of, yeah, so we look, um, if we con- continued north, you'd be Northern Beaches, so just over, yep. the, over the hills sort of. Um, it was a loop to get it. here. I just sort of go up north and yeah. come back around on this penin- bit of a peninsula, peninsula, I guess it is. Yeah, it is. It's a great spot here. Yeah. And you've only been here, I mean, it was a sincere welcome because you've only been here for five or six weeks. <laughs> yeah, we have. It's, um, <laughs> we just got rid of the boxes for you, actually. It was a, a great catalyst for us getting organised. Deadlines, mate. Deadlines. Yeah, exactly. Deadlines are great. We love them. Yeah. Um, thank you for... for um, providing me with a venue and and the time, given that it is um, a public holiday today. Yes, it is. (laughs) Thank you, Queenie. (laughs) I know. Thank you, Queen. Um, Lots of interesting mixed feelings about the Queen. I see on, you know, here and there, um, rightly or wrongly, doesn't matter. Um, But we have a public holiday. It was was interesting to see so many um, statements about, Business houses and closing and opening and things mm. on, on on the day. I guess it's it's not your normal public holiday. It's a one off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for business. Done for you. You have all your team are just yeah, they're know, off. Yeah. They're off. Uh, I mean, look, even uh, our abattoirs were were closed yeah. today and and they're closed tomorrow. So no processing uh, for them. And yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's an interruption, but um, yeah, whether you believe in the monarchy or not, I think she was a great woman, and you know. Here we are. Here we are. We've got the the day off. We've got the day off. Well, you and I haven't for the first little bit. I'm conscious of your family um, in the house and, as I said to you, happy for them just to waddle in and make a noise and do whatever because it is, it is, it's all about you and and what's normal. Uh, Mate, we, uh, and I, as I, as I do, I, I interview my guests face to face, which Mm. we are, and um, in their happy place, their, their home, their garden, their farm, or whatever. We're looking which way? We're looking we're north. We're, Are we yes. sort of northeast? Uh, we're actually directly east here. Oh, east. Uh, so we've got west behind us. Oh, yes. Um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, a bit of bit of weather around. Bit so weather. it would have been nice to take into the garden. But it um, would have been. Yeah. No, we can look back out there. My dog's out there, just keeping keeping track of everything. Um, so I would normally say, you know, why here? Why now? Why this environment? I mean, I guess I still can. Mm. Why Sydney? Where did you, where, where did you, were you a Sydney boy? Not well, moved around a little bit actually. Yeah. So yeah, born in Wagga Wagga. Um, Wagga Wagga, yeah. so good. They it's named it twice. twice. 
That's right. Uh, so Riverina boy originally um, and then spent some time on the Central Coast and then sort of secondary school uh, and beyond up here in Sydney. So, yep. um, but, yeah, no, North North Shore sort of this sort of area has been, been my mm. home for uh, most of my life and um, certainly um, since being married or before actually, um, Kat and I have been living in the, in the the on the North Shore. So love mm. this part of the world. It's nice. There's proximity to the mm. city and proximity to work and, and those types of things. But also, you know, as you can tell, it's, it's quiet. It's really it's quiet. Sleepy and, it's great. I reckon um, it's a little bit of a hidden gem up here. Well, don't tell Not me. Not now. <laughs> no, no, one, no, one's gonna listen, no one's going to listen to this, mate. No worry. <laughs> not because of you, not because you're the guest. No, but right, no, okay. I don't, <laughs> Thanks, <mate>. I don't <laughs> Put you down in, within the first four minutes. Um, so let's get to Riverina. Growing mm. up there, were you? What, what was your residential situation? Were you in town, out of town? Yeah, it was mostly in town. Um, before that, mum and dad were on a farm, out, mm. out, um, sort of living on a farm, a sheep farm out um, just past Wagga. Uh, and then came in, they were both school teachers at, at Wagga High. Um, so sort of <coughs> spent a little bit of time there and then um, actually spent a year in the UK and then sort of relocated when we got back up to the Central mm. Coast. So, um, well, how, you, how old were you when you went to the UK? Uh, oh, God, I was three or something like okay. that. So, so not, yeah, not, not memorable? No, no. As, as nice as the UK was, it wasn't <coughs> memorable for me. Um, but, uh, no, it was great. And then Central Coast is a lovely part of the world, you know, in that in what the was 80s. That, what was that, Gosford? That yeah, Gosford? Voca Beach. Of Oka, Yeah, so it's uh, – and, and Dad still lives <coughs> up there, which is great. So hmm. um, it's a lovely part of the world. Um, but then, yeah, yeah, Sydney for schooling and, and things like that just sort of made sense. So hmm. – uh, Love Sydney and love the coast and Riverinas. Obviously, as although I didn't probably spend as much of my formative years there, it's amazing how you know when you go back to those locations, um, how it does feel kind of like home. You mm-hmm. know, uh, and just you know being able to spend some time around your way as well in 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 Burua is. Uh, yeah, there's something about it which is which is very comforting and, and settling for me. So, sorry, when did you leave Wagga? When you left school? Yeah, no, 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 no. no you were up here for yeah. So left, left left when I was in sort of five. Uh, left the Riverina. So, can you did, when you were down there? Are you aware of kind of connection with the country down there, out on farms? You know, much was there other family members there that we used to go and visit or friends and things? Was there? We'll, we'll kind of get to later in the interview. Kind of obviously what. Um, why I'm asking that question, um, mm. but you know, was there a you know connection with it? Even not necessarily like an intellectual one, but just yeah. like oh, I used to go to this farm every weekend. Yeah, no, there was. There's definitely um, a lot of the friends of, of my of my folks were on farms. Mm. Um, obviously, because they used to live on farm, they had a lot of those friends and connections. So we did spend a little bit of time, you know, out in the sheep stations and those types of things, which was great. Um, but you know, like I said, it's it's probably not not formative mm. a- enough for me. But and, and even then, when we were in Wagga, it wasn't because of family. It was um, you know just because of work for my folks. So um, you know, it wasn't like there was a, a huge drawing back to that location um, growing up. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, my folks are sort of um, dad's from Newcastle so there's uh, and, and mum, mum's side my grandma's from Newcastle originally mm. so you know all up and down that sort of um, north coast and then into the Riverina really. Is there is there going back some generations was there farming in the blood? No not at all actually mm. um, and I think um, you know it's been real interesting for me to sort of now have this 
tie with agriculture um, and really learning it for the first time uh, and understanding it. And I think that's kind of helped in some ways, not having that generational burden of, of understanding or knowledge. Um, but in some ways it's also, you know, I'm learning this stuff for the first time, uh, which is exciting for me. I think it's, um, you know, it's such a huge part of Australian culture. Um, and obviously as a business that's involved in agriculture now, it's just, you know, it's a requirement. We, we need to sort of know this. And it's um, through a lot of the learnings and, uh, you know, journey that we've undertaken as a business, it's been fantastic to understand those stories and be drawn to, to country in that way. So um, back, so school here, mm. um, left school, what happened then? Yeah, so Did left. you go to school, you sort of ochre? No, I didn't do. I didn't do schoolies. I missed out. I was working. Um, it was one of those things. I think uh, didn't do schoolies. Not at Avoca. Not the not the uh, Gold Coast. The Goldie. Um, no, not Byron. Not, not Byron. I, know, I, was, no. I, I think some kids go to Bali now, or maybe not the last couple of years. But I, I, was, I was hearing that though. It was like, yeah, That's off to thing. Bali. Probably me, cheaper mate. than going to the Gold Coast anyway. Yeah, that's probably, right. Maybe, probably, yeah. dare I say, safer. Yeah. So no, so no schoolies. <laughs> no schoolies for me. Left left school and went um, straight to uni. So mm. um, studied industrial design at university. Um, in, see, here in Sydney? Here which, in Sydney, Which university yeah. you're, you're allowed? Um, UWS and UTS. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so it was, it was great. I think, um, you know, industrial design is a uh, – it was a really interesting – um, degree for me. I was really interested in, you know, engineering and those types mm. of things as a kid and growing up and um, always been pretty good with my hands. My, my dad's, uh, you know, very handy, was an industrial arts teacher and art teacher. So, you know, built his own house and did all these sorts of things. So mm. was exposed to that um, throughout my life. Uh, and then, yeah, university was great. Loved it. Um, very different to what I do now. But in a lot of ways, it also is quite similar. There's, there's, parts of that education that I've brought with me and that's kind of the understanding of how to how to identify an audience how to look at a problem how to solve that problem now I'm doing it with food and not just um with other materials infrastructure yeah yeah so it's um loved that degree it was it was fantastic Uh, and then just went straight out into the workforce sort of um designing I was doing industrial design so furniture design these types of things uh here in Sydney which was which was great with um a a small company a big company did did you have much freedom in um in doing in doing that, or did you work for Freedom Furniture? Well, funnily enough, we did do some design work for Freedom Furniture, <laughs> oh, really? but um, not exactly the height of design. Uh, Freedom, but it's not a bad place to start. No, on. exactly. Yeah, no. Look, it was a small. We were doing manufacturing and design on on premise, so yeah. it was good. So we had a design team. We also had a production team, and it was all in the in the one facility, which was mm. which was really good. So it was. Um, no, it was great fun actually and then uh, sort of moved away from the design component and then moved into um, sort of fit-outs and, you know, corporate stuff. So ended mm-hmm. up doing large corporate fit-outs for, you know, Westpac's boardroom and doing these oh, yeah. types of things. So working for an Italian firm, uh, doing those fit-outs, which was great. Loved that. Plenty of trips to Europe. and Oh, really? And Yeah, yeah. Did uh, furniture fairs in, in Milan and those types of places, which is not bad. Have, is there any furniture we can see that you've designed in here? 
No. No. <laughs> no. Where, is there any, where would one find you in, in a museum somewhere? Yeah. In the Museum no, of Contemporary Art in New York? Certainly not. Maybe propping a door open somewhere, <laughs> but no. No, look, there's, I did a little bit, um, but, you know, unfortunately the design and manufacturing stuff in Australia is, is um, it's largely for that sort of flat pack mm. type environment, right, and it mm. doesn't last very long. And that was a, that was a huge sort of concern for me really is how can we, you know, the longevity of design needs to needs to be maintained and not only the, the maintenance of the design or the I guess the, the materials but that time, that timeless element of design. So that's the sort of stuff for I me, mean, you know, we've kind of got some Eames shares here which which we love and you oh, know, yep. some of that stuff we, uh, you know, uh, you know, love that sort of design element but, no, unfortunately, mate, I wasn't, wasn't good enough to be found in any design museums around the world. Um, <laughs> where, where there's no, like, the Brock chair <laughs> no certainly not uh, no mate unfortunately no no uh, none of my designs uh stood the test of time did you did you become disenfranchised with it like what where at what point was there a pivot to you know maybe there was a few things between mm. that and where you're up to now what was the next mm. kind of chapter yeah i wouldn't say like disenfranchised it was it wasn't some sort of um big element that i was upset with it was it was really that i just got to travel more um, mm. and, and see the world a little bit. So I ended up taking a year off uh, when I was about 26 or 27 and just literally packed up and moved overseas and didn't really have much of a plan, um, sort of started in, in Europe and then moved through to um, South Africa and uh, ended up in Argentina and spent sort of eight months in South America just sort of travelling around, mm. meeting people, talking to people and, um, you know, had some amazing experiences through that time and, and got back to Sydney and was kind of like, wow, that, you know, there's so much else to do. There's so many other things. And through a couple of connections, um, really decided to then that was my time to go out by myself and, and start my own business. So at the at the naive and tender age of sort of 27, 28, decided to go out and, and start looking and formulating products around natural health and ways in which we could I could impact um, people's health in a positive way. Like uh, as in um, like a food, a supplement, yeah. that, that, that kind of, yep, okay, natural health. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. So sort of started out with uh, over the over-the-counter sort of pharmaceutical products, so vitamins and minerals and these types of supplements and moved into more whole food supplementation and Mm -hmm. utilising different vitamin and mineral complexes and then also whole food, so, you know, all of the greens powders and all these types of things and fruits and vegetables and trying to create a little bit more of a a holistic product um, to improve people's health. Uh, And that's kind of, you know, still the case today, really, what that seems like a bit of a departure from. I mean, what was the sort of the impetus? I mean, your, your fitness was always a thing. Mm, yeah, I played football up until a few years ago. Um, Aussie rules. So mm. did. Um, I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> we're on the Being a rugby player. We're on the verge of the <laughs> AFL grand final. It's a, it is. Who's yeah. playing? Is Sydney and Swans and Geelong? Geelong. So by the time mm. this comes out, we will. You, the listener, will know the outcome of that. That's right. Okay. Um, my niece's boyfriend is plays for the Swans. Oh, what's that? Who's, what's his name? Um, Ollie. Oh, yeah. Florent. Ollie yeah. Florent, yeah. Yeah. So he's... Uh, he's doing well. He's doing... He's done very well. He's been there for is it three, at least three years now. Mm. Lovely bloke too. Mm. And um, I'm pleased. I only didn't know how... I've just not been on the 
on the radar at all until I saw it on the, the paper and the survey the other day. Mm. It was like red and white. I went, oh, gee, they must have yeah. must have got all the way through. Doing very well. Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, I played just down the road here at North Shore, which is a great mm. club, and uh, Cal Mills is an ex-North Shore boy who's um, captaining the Swans. So, yeah, look, I, I loved footy. It was, it was everything, I think, uh, for me. Growing up, and was that um, a Riverina sort of a thing? Because there's a fair bit of AFL down there, isn't there? There is, yeah. Some some absolute legends, mm. um, Paul Kelly and and uh, Wayne Carey and the likes are all from the Riverina area. Um, so yeah, look, I I sort of played it from very young age up until a very old age, um, mm. and and you know fitness as part of that, mm. uh, and health and nutrition was certainly part of that. So always, uh, I think um, fitness has played a huge role in sort of forming what I've what I've become now and, you know, friendship groups and everything. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it was Riverina specifically, but uh, when you're tall and lanky, rugby doesn't suit you very well. So <laughs> that was the uh, – You'd have been a good second row. The I played line breakaway. I played oh, yeah. breakaway uh, at school, so first mm. 15 is rugby. But, mm. um, yeah, no, I, it was um, not, not for, for me. No. So back to the the, the supplements because it's still mm. like that's a, that's a big thing to kind of go back from the from exploring the world. Yeah, um, want to do something different? Have your industrial design sort of degree mm. education under your belt, and then even though you know you're um, in the sort of fitness world or conscious of that, mm. to then start your own supplement business seems like a like, like a big jump. Mm. It, did, it did, you, did you like? Did you listen to a Tim Ferriss podcast and go, "Oh my god, I'm going to do that"? Well, actually, um, Tim's actually a mate of mine, and so we spent in, on that trip. I spent about three weeks with Tim in Uruguay, hang, sort of hanging out. Mm. Uh, and so, one of the first products that I brought out was actually a, a reformulation of something that um, Tim had, had done. Uh, and so, we looked at that formulation. Was it like a, he had that brain. What was brain it? Quicken, brain yeah. quicken. So, it. yeah, that was uh, that was one of the products. You couldn't actually bring that product into Australia because of some of the ingredients. Uh, and so, we reformulated some <laughs> of that. Being, being what? Oh, not, not nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing like that. No, just... Straight ice. No, it, was, it wasn't anything like that. No, it was um, a couple of botanicals that, that the TGA wouldn't let into the country. Really? Um, and look, you know, rightly or wrongly, I think the, the TGA um, are very strict on some of those things. So I, I think it's a, um, you know, we're seeing now in sports supplementation that there's a lot of things that, um, you know, shouldn't be in there or shouldn't be advertised in the way that they've been advertised. Um, in, in Without naming any, what, what, what like... A lot of the pre-workout type things okay. you know, that are being marketed are, that can be a little bit damaging. Um, and so TGA... Literally the ingredients are, are not necessarily longer term good for the yeah, body. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I mean, that that's, you know, sports supplementation has is, is always been a little bit of a muddied waters. You know, it's, it's not been um, policed, I guess, Overly well, uh, and the TGA now now taking a really strong position on it, which I think is which is important, and clamping down on claims uh, mm. around what these products can do. Uh, and so, you know, I think you know whether it's ingredients or whether it's the actual advertising and marketing of these products, I think uh, you know we need to put a, a close eye over it. So the TGA is doing a great job. So yeah, we couldn't get some of those ingredients in for, for that product. Um, and so we reformulated using a, a TGA um, certified 
sort of product. So, yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. It was a, it's a big departure from where mm-hmm. I was at. And I think it was mostly naivety that sort of drew me to that and, or my ability to sort of be able to do it. Um, and you know, that was, I was, I was learning a, a new industry from scratch, you know, didn't know a thing about it. Um, sort of formulated these products and then jumped in my car and drove around the suburbs and, tried to sell it into every pharmacy and health food shop that I could. And yeah, it was a great lesson. Like, you know, how do you, how do you market these products? What are the, what are the elements that a naturopath, a nutritionist, a dietitian, a pharmacist, what are they looking for in products? And how can you actually fill that gap of creating something which is valuable, not only to, to those practitioners, but ultimately to the consumer? Because, mm-hmm. um, I think the way that a lot of products are formulated by big business is that it's like, well, We've got a budget of this. These are the ingredients we can afford. Let's put that in and market the hell out of it. Um, and that was kind of, you know, that was probably a real eye-opener for me was the way in which I came at things from a solving a problem versus, like, making sure that it fits into a, a budget. Um, and so, you know, consequently, a lot of the products that I developed were probably too expensive um, for a traditional way of working or a traditional big business because there's not enough margin in it to, to go from the manufacturer to the distributor mm-hmm. to the retailer and I'll end up at the consumer. So it's, um, and I think that's been an interesting, as we've seen that landscape, the retail landscape evolve and now being able to, to be in touch with consumers directly, um, through e-commerce and, and, uh, and those types of things is, has made it so much easier to bring out quality products, uh, and get them into consumers' hands. Have you, are there still those products on the shelf? Uh, yeah, some of them are. Yeah. Really? So, Fantastic. um, yeah, managed to sell, uh, one of those businesses originally and then, uh, still the shareholder in, in, in a couple of others. So cool. yeah, it's been, it's always, it's a really nice feeling. I think when you can walk into a store and you see something that you've been a part of on shelf. Um, and I think having that as a physical product for me with, with my background with design and, and those types of elements and working with a physical product, it's always really rewarding to sort of mm-hmm. see it in that environment and go, oh, well, that's yeah, sense of pride, it's I there. guess. Yeah. And it's also stood the test of time as well, I guess, you know, yeah. like it's, it's there clearly working or or, or people still want it, want it. So yeah. otherwise, I guess it wouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, so that that was that was the departure from from industrial design, mm. kind of. I mm. mean, you know, leap, but obviously elements of that's you, you, you've been using. Um, what happened next? Did you did you did that just keep evolving? You know that that kind of supplementation, that health food kind of world. Yeah, I think it, it evolved kind of as my knowledge evolved and, and grew within the marketplace uh, and trying to understand exactly what, um, not just what trends, but w- what sort of pieces of information were really important to me. And I think, you know, speaking with and, and working with so many sort of naturopaths and, and nutritionists along the way um, really started to open my eyes in terms of what is the best option for us as as consumers um, to deliver the best health. Uh, and that that really has now sort of culminated in in everything that, that we have at Chief Nutrition. Uh, and so working working with, you know, our team, we've got a great team um, of naturopaths, nutritionists, dietitians that, you know, really support the work that we're doing um, and understanding 
their requirements? Like what are they seeing in the marketplace? And I think that's, you know, if we go back sort of eight to ten years, there was a lot of noise being made around, you know, veganism, I guess, and and, and that's carried through to, to today. It's getting louder, isn't it, really? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think we agree. I certainly, I think I agree with a lot of what vegans have to say. I think there's just, you know, 10 or 20% that we disagree on. Um, I think the reason why the noise is getting louder around it is because the dollars are going there. And if you look at the the fake food, you know, the Franken foods that we're seeing out in the world, that seems to be where a lot of money is flowing. Uh, and that's driving the noise, right? And it's, um, I think, unfortunately, that lobby has created a meat versus vegan narrative, which is not actually serving. That anyone. lobby being the the... The vegan lobby or the or the red meat lobby? No, the vegan lobby. I yeah. think it. I think if you look at uh, the likes of um, Impossible Foods and Beyond Burgers and these types of things that have got you know huge amounts of of marketing dollars behind oh, them, yeah. um, that's the natural. The meat industry is the natural enemy for these guys. So that so dare I say that was on purpose? Then they've created that. Oh, that of course, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think you know they've gone to market with two main uh, prongs to their attack, and one is health, and the other is environment. I think what we're seeing now is um, consumers are starting to understand that you know a whole heap of GMO crops and vegetable oils and, you know, a list of ingredients as long as your arm that go into some of these foods are not actually healthy for you. Um, and I think if you sort of peeled back the layers, um, we'd understand that it's not actually good for the planet either. Um, I think if people were really, if everybody cared about the world, we'd be talking about regen versus industrial farming practices, not meat versus veganism. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, there's a lot of nuance in that. Um, I think, you know, and as, as I said earlier, I think I agree with a lot of the points that vegans make. You know, we're all concerned about the welfare of our planet. We're all, you know, we all care about animal <laughs> welfare and we all care about um, consumer health. But when you put this blanket over it and sort of say, well, you've got to be in team vegan or you've got to be in team meat, mm. um, it really does sort of confuse the consumer, I think, ultimately. <clears throat> it just reminds me of the kind of the, the concept or the, the strategy of like start with yes, like, you know, if in going into a conversation, let's hope it's not an argument with someone, whether it's veganism, you know, red meat, mm. whatever, you know, like if you can kind of start a conversation agreeing on like where's the common ground between us? Mm. So as you just said, so do we care about the environment? Yes. Do we? Do, and you kind of set a bit of a foundation for, okay, let's we just put that aside because we agree on that. Let's not go back to that and harp on it because mm. we kind of have kind of wait, you know, sort of the wheat from the chaff, mm. you know, and now we can go, which which I think is a really good good approach, um, which which doesn't always happen, you know, because mm. because I, I think as you you're right in that there's a you know. I mean, I, I'm I'm squarely in one of those camps, and mm. it's not the vegan camp. Mm. Um, I appreciate <clears throat> their point of view uh, that they have a point of view, mm. um, and but as you said, I think it's it's more about there's a, there's a convenience with making us the bad guys, um, and there's a lot of sort of 
pretty straightforward, dare I say, science, numbers, mm. not anecdotal, mm. <clears throat> you know, numbers behind kind of, you know, pick, a, pick, a, pick one of those topics, methane, for instance, mm. you know, that the, um, you know, reading articles and, and in reading and seeing information on this and, and, and there seems to be, if you read a lot of this stuff, it's all one way. Like yep. methane's just getting farted and burped out of these cows and we've got to do something about it. Mm. But there's kind of 70% of the pitch is not actually filled in, yeah. you know, that there's actually a cycle yeah. cycle of, of this methane thing. And, it, look, I, it, it, all, it comes up on most of my conversations with mm. people um, because it's such a not, – it's not an irritation for me, but it's like a – can't we just – can we just look at that bit, mm. you know, and kind of look at the science and the numbers around that because that's kind of irrefutable. But yeah. I think, as you say, there's such a, a, a big marketing budget behind um, the fake meats that mm. um, it's easy to fe- they need to they need to put that to one side and, yeah. and fill up the, the airwaves with all all the other sort of the, the stuff that's going on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just it's very easy to oversimplify mm. the message and to create these this clickbait headlines of saying, you know, 70% of the greenhouse gases come from agriculture and these types. Mm. I mean, it's, it's really easy to create those headlines and to get them out there. But you're right, people need to sort of look behind that and mm. actually understand it. And certainly we see the misrepresentation of, of statistics um, within the agricultural sector massively, um, whether that be on land use, whether that be on uh, water use uh, and certainly on greenhouse gases as well. So, I mean, you know, we both attended RCS a few months ago and understanding, you know, some of the stories that are coming out of um, the data collection of these farms um, that are involved with RCS is just phenomenal, uh, you know, listening to... To Terry and, and certainly, uh, you know, even Di Hegarty and, and these people and understanding the amount of carbon that they're able to sequester within their natural environment, I think is, is amazing. And that to me is the difference and the advantage that regenerative agriculture has over industrial agriculture uh, is these unique personal stories that um, are backed by science as well, you know, and understanding exactly what's going into their practices, the land management that they're, that they're using, and some of the results. I mean, the outcomes that we're seeing are just phenomenal. Um, I think the statistic that, uh, that Terry mentioned was on, on Dye's farm, I think it was, that, you know, for every kilo of beef produced, they're sequestering 50 kilos of carbon. Uh, I mean, that, <coughs> you know, I think the audience was absolutely shocked when, when we sort of heard that. Um, and it's pretty, pretty compelling stuff. Oh, it? It's amazing. And mm. I think whilst we don't want to be necessarily uh, carbon-centric in everything that we look at, mm. it's, a, it's a metric that most consumers understand. And so it's, it's treading that very, very fine line of being able to say, well, yes, carbon is an element of, um, of the output of, of a farm, um, but it can also be something that is sequestered uh, by that environment and can actually create a net positive for the for the environment. And I think that's it's a good point that um, it's and I you know I bang on about it a lot. There's a lot of talk, and I kind of follow a few people who are advocates of uh, um, you know fighting climate change mm-hmm. and so on. 
There's a lot of talk about reducing emissions, mm. you know, whether that's through renewable energy sources, whether it's it's through, um, you know, electric cars or what are those sort of reducing emissions, but they, there's a big picture, big, big, another element of the story that's not really banged on about and that's um, how do we sequester the stuff that's in there? Mm. That's up, that's, that's, you know, if we want to agree on there's more there than it should be mm. and we've contributed to that, well, how can we contribute to being pulled out? And it's, again, it's fascinating. I find it fascinating that... You know, people with voices, mm. um, very loud voices and influential voices are not kind of going, hang on, there's mm. this other bit. Yeah. And my theory is that um, it's because it involves cows mm. uh, and farming and mm. farting and burping and methane yeah. that it's like that's the bit that's not kind of not, not mm. um, touched on very much, you know, that, that, that might, up, up, you know, like, so the first half of the equation it pleases Mm. pleases a lot of people, a lot of their followers and their friends and so on, but then the other bit that they might want to think about adding into the into the sort of the, the narrative is may not please all their followers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think that's, you know, if you look at <clears throat> things like Project Drawdown, I think is, a, is one of those elements that have highlighted um, ways in which we can actually draw down carbon from the atmosphere. And if you look at the impact that they've outlined, you know, Agricultural practices is, I think it's two and a half times more impactful than any other component in being able to. And sustainability, so sustaining our current level of of carbon in the atmosphere is just not enough. We actually need to sequester that. Uh, And if you do look at some of those elements, you know, we, we are able to hold four times the amount of carbon in the soil as we have in the atmosphere. So it's, um, but you're right, it's not a convenient message um, because agriculture is so maligned in the media. I think that's part of our job um, is to really inform consumers around some of those, some of those elements um, because it's not a convenient message. It's really easy once the narrative is moving one way for all media to follow it. I think what we certainly we see um, chief as a as a vehicle for education and for change around that. So our ability to educate consumers around not only our product but and our supply chain, but what are the elements that you know our farmers are utilising? What's the natural capital um, that they're able to create within their environment? And, and that without those sort of stories, uh, it's really difficult to do. Um, but the one thing I find is whenever you're talking to someone about regenerative agriculture and you're able to tell the story of some of these farmers and what they're doing, it just makes sense. You know, it's it, it's sort of does creating a fake meat burger or a lab-grown, you know, chicken nugget or anything, does that make sense? doesn't really make sense, you know. Uh and these stories are so powerful and so compelling and looking at the, whether it's the before and after photo of, you know, some of these landscapes or whether it's the amount of carbon that they're able to sequester into the soil uh, or whether it's the, the health markers that they're able to see within their animals and how that comes into the consumers, whatever those components are, they're really, really compelling and they are the, they're the defining element and the, the way in which we as regenerative agricultural proponents can set ourselves apart from industrial mm. methods because whilst we, you know, might, you know, maybe we don't have those sexy headlines right now, I think we'll definitely get there. And it's not like you can tell a really good story about how 
an impossible burger has changed the landscape for the good. Can you? <laughs> Absolutely not. But it's again, I find it fascinating that they've sort of dodged that. They've dodged that. That mm. haven't they? You know, there's there's lots of airtime. You know, from our side, sort of saying, hey, but you know, monocultured GMO soy is a source of protein that might go into your burgers. That's you know, that's um, we're finding traces of glyphosate in. Mm. You know that is this is radio silence on that, mm. but we're the you know again we're sort of the bad guys and you know the sterile environments that they're created in in labs, no touch with nature, mm. you know no biome kind of influences there, mm. um, and chloride, chloride, and you know like the um, chlorine, I should, mm. should say, you know those sort of sterile and antibiotics. Like it's really there's a, if one was to sort of really just do a very black and white comparison. Um, it's again compelling. Our, our, our you know, our kind of um, side of it is, mm. is is even more compelling. But it's that we won't bang on about it. I guess it's a it's a. I won't even call it a frustration because I'm not going to let it frustrate me. It's just I'm, <laughs> I'm more fascinated with the with how that's how it's come about. Looking for more information to assist your regenerative journey. Come join Charlie and his guests around the kitchen table, an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the Regenerative Journey interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people and more. Go to www.charliearnett.com.au forward slash the kitchen table. And if you're not totally satisfied with the value of your membership and wish to cancel it within the first two months, we will give you a full 100% refund, no questions asked. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah. Let's get back to Chief mm. because um, uh, what was the sort of the jump from, you know, um, uh, the, your, your, your range of supplementations to... Um, what you're doing now, because we've talked about Chief Lock, we haven't actually sort of banged on about what you guys are making even. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean... So give it a plug, mate. We've got it, yeah. some mer- We have got a bit of merch here. Yeah, Come on, reach over there. We've got some of our grass-fed, grass-finished organic biltong. There's always a few of those floating around my glove box and my ute. I know, you're, you're a big proponent of those. We've got yeah, our, we can't. Uh, we should have had a little set-up, a little yeah, stand should, there. A little bit early for... Biltong, maybe, but we'll have to. Oh, no. Biltong and apple, apple any time of the day. That's all you need. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is, a, that is the two major food groups, and that's all you need. Yeah. Um, oh, that was your tradition. Oh, yeah, that's your, your bar. I'm a big fan of your, um, of your glyc- um, uh, collagen bars. bars. Yeah. yeah, they're good as well. Um, and then this is a new one. I don't know if you've seen this. I saw that. Organic beef liver capsules. That's amazing. That's um, that's fantastic. We love that. Let's talk about that a bit. No, no, let's get back to that. Let's talk mm. about Chief and mm. kind of where that came from because this is what I'm seeing more and more of and I think it's fantastic. Using that fifth quarter, mm. it's what lions eat first yeah. and they have a kill and that's there's a good reason for that because yeah. um, that's where the nutrients are. They've only got so much time to eat that's what right. they can before the hyenas yes. sort of scare them off. Um, so we'll get back to the to, to I mean even liver. Uh, do you do any do you liver and like any other? Um, yeah, kick, we're working right? on that. Yeah. yeah, so we've got some other some really interesting elements. And and you, you mentioned the fifth quarter. I think it's uh, it's one of the elements that we don't get in the Western diet mm. is that awful meat. Um, and so you know pound for pound, liver mm. is is by far and away the most nutrient dense food in the world. So yeah, right. And if you look at the way in which a lot of um, 
especially multivitamins and, and these sort of other supplements that are created, a lot of them are very much based around uh, vegan ingredients. So they're the, the grasses, the chlorella, the broccoli mm. sprouts and these types of things. And some of that's really good, but you're missing a lot of the key nutrients that you get out of uh, animal products. And I think that's the, the advantage that we have as chief is that we're not bound by those constraints of, of veganism. So yeah, they're, they're fantastic. We've got some, some really good products coming out with that. Um, but yeah, the, the genesis of chief, um, it started very much as a bit of a, a sideline business really, because, uh, I was doing some natural food distribution. So I had a distribution business in the natural health food space. And, and Justin, who you've met, was uh, working in a, a tech startup. Uh, his wife, Libby, who's uh, an entrepreneur in her own right, was, was running several businesses. And Veronica, uh, who's an exercise physiologist and nutritionist, was also busy with what she was doing. So we sort of started this. You all met each other in that circle of kind of yeah, that, that world? I'd, yeah, I'd met Libby through the sort of <laughs> fitness space and had, had done some work with her in the past. And um, she'd done some, she's a the journalist by trade as well. So she'd done some amazing things. Uh, we'd worked together in that space. And yeah, we all sort of knew each other. And um, Veronica being an exercise physiologist and nutritionist was actually about to go over and do the Kokoda Trail. So this, 90, is, this, is, this is when, yeah. This is, uh, this was 2014, 15, oh, yeah. somewhere around there. Um and look, you know, V was looking for something that she could take, right? You're mm. going to carry all this food for a 96-kilometre overland trek. Uh, and, and she's, uh, you know, you've met V. She was probably going to run it all because she's, uh, she's <laughs> mad by that and extremely fit. And look, we, she couldn't find anything. She's sort of mm. looking at it and saying, well, what can I take that's, you know, really nutrient-dense, uh, whole food-based, uh, isn't full of all the fake rubbish that you see out of there, you know, whether it's the sugars or the sugar alcohols or these types of things. And that was the genesis and sort of looking at what could actually be created. And there was a few things in the States, you know, that were, you know, based on meat, um, you know, bars and things like that, but they didn't taste overly good and, you know, there wasn't any transparency around the supply chain or anything like that. And so that was the genesis. So we, we brought out two bars. One was a, a beef bar and the other was a lamb. Mm. Um, and they went really well. They sort of started to tick over and, you know, that was, like I said, peak vegan time, right? Everyone was talking about that. And so trying to sell peak, a beef bar was vegan. <laughs> it was kind of <laughs> difficult. Um, and then, you know, we sort of, it took a few years for us to realise, well, this has actually got some legs. We've got something here. And and as the, the product range grew and uh, I guess uh, our audience grew, we started to take a little bit more care and try and understand exactly what was going into, you know, the products that we were making. Um, and that's- so, so it wasn't – so you didn't start with Biltong, which w- w- would have been, I, I would have assumed, a, a more simple starting point than than a than a than a bar. Well, yes, you're right. In hindsight, that would have been a great place to start. <laughs> and that was, just that try was one of the try the beef. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, trying to sell trying to sell beef in a bar is is really difficult mm. because what does beef in a bar taste like? Um, so it's it's, it's like because you've got to not mince. I guess you'd mince it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a yeah. mincing sort of process there, isn't there? Yeah. So it's um. So did so did she take some? Did she? Did she? So she went and just just found whatever she could, and then and then kind of came back and went. We need to do something about yeah. this. Yes, here's the gap. 
Uh, here's the gap in the market. So, uh, and that was, it took a long time for us to actually formulate that and get it right because it's not as simple uh, as doing a biltong, not that mm. doing a good, good biltong is easy, um, but sort of the, it's certainly easier than doing um, the beef bars. So it took a few years actually to get it right. Hello. And uh, we got some of the girls <laughs> no, jogging good. through the background, <laughs> chasing. One of them got Play away. Chasing, that's it. Um, so, you know, it took a, took a little while to get right and um, and then that was kind of, you know, as I said, being peak vegan times, we were getting getting bashed a fair bit around yeah, by yeah. people saying, you know, you guys are killing the planet. What are you doing? Like bringing out these beef bars, it's, it's terrible. And that was a, a real eye-opening moment for us. It was a sort of a, a time of introspection and, and looking at what we were doing because at the time it was – buying meat through a wholesaler, you know, processing it, understanding what was, and then packaging it and selling it. And it was a little bit, you know, we just didn't have that understanding really mm. around our supply chain. And that was that was the genesis for us um, because at the time it being a little bit of a sideline business and not necessarily having that clear direction, you know, getting some negative feedback from, from people saying, hey, this isn't good, really like stopped us and allowed mm. us to draw breath and go, well, what actually do we want to achieve with this? Um, and that was the the starting point of our, you know, regenerative journey, if you like, because we did a really, really deep dive on trying to understand exactly what was going into our products. Um, and it drew us closer to our supply chain. So throughout that research and, you know, we, we came across this probably the very similar way that most consumers come across this and you look at Alan Savory and Stan Parsons, you look at the, the teachings of those guys and the, the TED Talks and, and the likes uh, and you invariably stumble across this guy called Charlie Arnott who's um, got a podcast and is <laughs> doing really well and, you know, that I guess that level of understanding of, of educating ourselves was fantastic because it gave us a purpose um, and, it, before that, we didn't have it, and I think it was the real impetus for for growth in our in our business. Uh, and so, yeah, did an amazing deep dive, sort of reformulated the products. Um, now work with an organic supply chain so that we have, you know, soil testing. We understand that there's no glyphosates used on any of our soils for, you know over 10 years, like it's, it's actually gone a lot longer. I don't think any of our land has ever used glyphosates. Um, that, so that's the, that's the farms that the, the, your, the meat used comes from? That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's all, they're all clean. Yeah, and that's part of the, you know, whilst we don't necessarily say that all of our producers, um, you know, all of the ones that we use at the moment are, are organic, that's mm. not to say that um, they all will be moving forward. I when think. you say organic, you mean certified organic? That's yeah, correct. Yeah, but a yeah. lot of... You know, as you know, you and I both know, a lot of farmers out there are using organic practices without necessarily mm. being organically certified. Mm. And I think that's the the difference for us. And and at the moment, with a lot of the consumers that we speak to, organic is a, a bit of a synonym for, you know, health and practices which are, are done in the right way. Uh, and I think as we see now, it's it's changing. And I think the understanding around what goes into an organic product versus potentially a, a regen product, or they're, they're more or less the same, but it's, it's what do consumers understand mm-hmm. and getting back to that, what's a, a synonym that they can all look for and say, well, I know that that's a bit of a catch-all for, for all of these types of practices. 
Yeah, a reference point. When when you when you put the product out for the first time and you copy a bit of flack, did mm. you get defensive, or did you just go, "Oh shit, we need to find"? Like, how did you respond outwardly to that? Yeah, I think it. it um, we certainly at the the initial reaction is always to try and get a bit defensive mm. and go, "Oh, that's not that's not that's not right," but it. We didn't have the level of education and understanding mm. to be able to defend it properly. Yeah. And that was a real challenge, right? That was the moment to go, wow, geez, like, we actually don't know if we are killing the planet, are we? Like, what are we doing? You know? <laughs> He's no question. Some, some bloke on Facebook told me I'm an idiot. I'm like, <laughs> I must be an idiot. Um, so, you know, but it was, it was good. I think one of the things that we've, you know, our entire business is based upon is that humility to sort of say, well, Actually, let's understand that more. Let's let's take a dive. Let's not get defensive and start calling each other names. Like that's not going to work. Mm. Let's understand it and hopefully have an intellectual conversation around how we can improve our practices. And that's an ongoing thing within our business is how can we improve the products, whether that be from a, a nutritional standpoint or whether it be from a, a supply chain point of view. Uh, we're doing a, a really deep dive at the moment, understanding our entire life cycle so from sort of cradle to shelf um, Mm. how we can measure all of the components which are going into delivering the product to consumers so that you know is what's going on on farm you know what are the uh, what are we doing in terms of inputs on farm what are we doing through the abattoir and and processing um, facilities what are we doing in terms of our packaging what are we doing in terms of logistics understanding all of those different components and doing life cycle analysis so that we have a benchmark and we can say, well, here's where we are today and how are we going to improve that? So, you know, that goes into all sorts of elements, whether it's biodiversity on farm, land and water use, um, packaging and energy production um, through that, that process. All of those components need to be measured so that we can improve What's your, what's your is, is carb? I guess carbon would be a um, a, a measure, a KPI or a measurement, you know, variable there in those things. How much carbon is being yeah. emitted, you know, in that packaging process, or mm. is that one of the one of the elements? It, certainly, yeah. So yeah. energy and then carbon are, are measured um, mm. throughout that. I mean, I think one of the elements that we're really keen on understanding is. Uh, or, or getting to a place where we can actually uh, inset any of those inputs that we're utilising. So whether it be carbon, whether it be electricity uh, and, and power in general, which ultimately leads to carbon, how can we then work with our supply chain to inset those elements? Mm. And, yes, we can look at carbon and say, well, what's the farmer doing to, to sequester that carbon on farm? We can also look at some of those all maybe a little bit more complex elements like biodiversity, um, soil structure, uh, land and water use and the ways in which we can potentially impact that as well. And it's not just, what I would say is that it's not just beef, right? Like I think, mm-hmm. you know, we, obviously we beef is a huge part of what we do, but even if you look at some of the other components, whether it be spices, you know, like humans are really bad sort of use of, of land and water. Where's it, where's it? Where's it come? Can, is it? Is it? Is it a, can you grow it in Australia? You can, not not very well, and certainly because it, it needs a particular environment. Yeah, so a lot of that comes out of uh, the subcontinent at the moment. So um, you know, drier conditions and those types of things. Certainly, if we look at you know, we looked at cranberries for example. Mm. Cranberries are 
horrendous in terms of their water use. Yeah. Because they, they flood the fields to sort of harvest the berries and then they float to the top. And so there's all these different components that we wouldn't be aware of unless we undertook this, this life cycle analysis. Um, and so it's really interesting to see the way in which all of those different ingredients that we use have impact. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, without understanding that and undertaking that life cycle analysis, we'd be, we'd be nowhere. A couple of questions there. One, I'll get back to that one, which relates to that in, in terms of community kind of um, mm. input. What this, I just want to stay on the life cycle and that sort of thing. You, we mentioned carbon. You know, there's a lot of talk about carbon accounting, which mm. we've got kind of touching on. Um, and there's on-farm carbon accounting. There's mm. kind of, you know, supply chain carbon accounting and, you know, um, fuel use and, and so on, emissions. Mm. What have, have, have you been seeing that narrative heading towards, you know, what's, what's the carbon accounting mm. um, of a family living in Kalani Heights in Sydney? Yeah. You know, and how many, what, what emissions are you contributing to, whether it's the car, you know, fuel in your car, the food mm. you eat, the furniture you have and all that manufacturing? Is that... Mm. Are you, are you seeing that and, and are you what, what are your thoughts on that become much more of a monitored and accountable thing mm. and where that might be heading? Yeah, I think, uh, and this is one of the potential problems, I think, in being very focused around one particular element, being carbon, and focusing on one molecule and, and that impact, not to say that it's not important. I think it's just it's a very simple metric to judge the impact. And I think for a household, carbon might be the right, you know, element to focus on. Um, what we see utilising the agricultural system and, and certainly I think we need to change the way we view that because if you are a consumer of food, you are part of the agricultural system. There's so much more than just carbon. Uh, and I think, you know, touching on some of those natural capital elements that, um, that you mentioned and, and natural capital accounting on farm, that for us is equally important but harder to articulate to a consumer. And so whilst it's very good to be able to say, yes, this is our carbon footprint and uh, we would like to tick a box and offset our electricity as a business or a family? Well, both, yeah. right? As a consumer, as a, as a family, I think it's, it's easier to just sort of tick that box, right? As a business, what we know is ticking that box doesn't work because there's no transparency around mm. where those credits are, are going to. And in my eyes, there's not necessarily enough checks and balances to understand if those, those ticks are being offset the right way. So as a business, what we look at is what are the ways in which we can work with our existing supply chain and actually make those changes in setting rather than just offsetting and ticking a box, Mm. right? So um, that might not be as easy as just sort of saying, well, we'll we'll offset our carbon and, you know, we'll plant some trees in India. It might be, it's a lot harder, right? But it's working with, you know, the likes of yourself and saying, well, you know, what's Charlie doing? Well, he's gone and planted 600 trees, um, you know, to help create 
uh, more natural capital on his farm and that's creating windbreaks, it's creating uh, natural environments for, for flora and fauna to, to flourish, uh, it's increasing biodiversity and soil structure, it's doing all these types of things and measuring those elements. And so it's, it's about stories and studies, right? How can we create those stories which we can speak to consumers about and how can we actually then back it up with science and measurement tools. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of ag tech come into play now, where we're, we're creating measurement tools that can actually look at some of these natural capital elements um, and account for them in a cost-effective manner. You know, so whether that is carbon measuring, doing soil samples or doing satellite imagery to understand the, the density of, of organic matter within soils and, and carbon levels, all of those components are part of it and we need to make that accessible for as many farmers as possible because that's value that I think consumers are going to want ultimately. I think there's a great, you know, like an, a, a sort of a, an addition to that or, or a parallel kind of I think a good um, uh, project incentive initiative is like, you know, say a family is getting meat from our farm, mm. you know, and that's a lovely thing in itself. It's direct line of sight or, or might be go through a few sets of hands just to, you know, processing and so on. Mm. Getting on farm but like, you know, if there was a need or even if there's not even a need but just an appreciation or acknowledgement that, you know, um, and it's not to alleviate guilt, it's just like a, you know, probably a, a good cultural and social thing to do is go, you know what, we probably are, you know, as a family in Sydney, net emitters of carbon or something, you know, like mm. we probably not, you know, understandably, you don't have the opportunity to grow a whole lot of food in the garden mm. or, you know, yeah. influence, you know, sequester carbon and offset that in a, in a meaningful meaningful way here in mm. situ. But then to, to go to a farm to like, I don't know, not so much commit to it, but just like go, you know what, we're going to plant 600 trees a year as yeah. a family and we're going to have a little, not on every tree, but like some, it'd be nice to have a little plaque to say this is the, this is the, you know, the family's little plot here and this mm. is our contribution, it's a relationship, it's a tangible thing, mm. it's something like quite literally a tree. What a wonderful way, a legacy to leave your kids and mm. say, you know, the, the kids get married and they bring their kids and their grandkids go, I planted these trees when I was yeah. 10 or something, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's still on a farm and, look, this farm might be sold and hopefully the trees are going to get knocked down or anything. But, I mean, what a lovely, you know, it might be the catalyst for that happening, but there's so many more lovely things that, mm. that can actually evolve from an acknowledgement of, you know what, maybe we can contribute in a meaningful way, yeah. you know, like that. Talking about contribution, um, thankful for farmers. Do we, yeah. I'm, before you answer that one, or yeah. as you're answering that one, I'm just going to check my dog. Yeah, yeah. Just to the, yeah, sure you know, So, yeah, Thankful for Farmers are a group we've been involved with for a number of years, I think probably two or three years, um, and fantastic people. Uh, Kim and Mike do an amazing job in helping farmers essentially transition or, or make a difference uh, within the regen space. So we've been, you know, very willing uh, contributors to, to the Thankful for Farmers organisation for, for a number of years and hope to sort of strengthen that um, that in the coming months actually. We've got some we've got some very exciting news with the team from, from Thankful so I don't we might not I don't know if we'll Well oh, I don't I don't edit anything I can't if you say it can we crack oh, in some of this Crack into it please that's the, um, the chili the chili, yeah, the might be chili, chili fancy um, I have to take my teeth out to eat those <laughs> <laughs> I do. Well, we're actually, we're, they get they get caught, aren't they? Yeah, we I might go off camera to do that. <laughs> don't chew all that on you. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we've actually been working with Thankful uh, 
obviously with within in terms of the organization and, and supporting some of their initiatives but we're actually now releasing in the coming weeks hopefully when this goes to air a uh a thankful for farmers bar so thankful the organization will have a will have a product in market um specifically around around thankful so because <coughs> you put <coughs> You got the spicy one. <laughs> Told you you got the chili. I must have got the one that must have been sitting upside down, <laughs> and all the power, all the chilies on the on the bottom of the thing. You got it. Yeah, for those who you can see the little thankful symbol <clears throat> just there. there. Yeah. So tell me how it works. I mean, I know, but our viewers, our listeners may not. Yeah, so Thankful as an organisation um, look at a number of different initiatives. Thankful for Farmers is, is one of their key ones and Thankful for Farmers specifically <clears throat> helps essentially um, farmers either transitioning from industrial methods into regenerative practices uh, or some other elements. So they've, they've done some, um, been able to sponsor with, with grants uh, a, a number of different initiatives, which uh, one of them was a, a movie, for example, and, and getting that media out there and Full understanding. Yeah. yeah. So educating consumers around the importance of soil and soil structures and making sure that we, we keep those soils um, healthy for future generations. Uh, and thankful as an organisation, you know, also move into a number of other elements. So um, even the the idea of being thankful, you know, mm-hmm. is really, really important. And so I think um, being thankful and, and showing gratitude helps that mental health uh, element. Mm-hmm. And certainly that has a flow on to, to farmers. We look at some of the community aspects that you sort of touched on. Being part of a community um, which is thankful is is really important, whether it be in an agricultural setting or or here in the city. Uh, and so, <clears throat> thankful we're we're really excited to to launch the the thankful product, uh, and that's hopefully going to be <laughs> sort of available certainly through the from the chief website, but we'll also have. Um, a number of other sort of retailers, hopefully jumping on board and supporting the cause. Any uh, can you any sort of hints of what, you, of what it is? Trying to <clears throat> secrets. Like, like is there is there a, is there is there an illegal TGA not approved <laughs> ingredient <laughs> in there? No, 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 all above board. <laughs> uh, we've looked, it's, a, it's a whole food uh, whole food bar, which is uh, extremely good for gut health as well. So, yeah, cool. uh, looking at that uh, connection between gut health and brain health and, mm-hmm. and sort of mental health in particular. So, you know, we look at I think it's 70 to 80% of serotonin is produced in the gut uh, and so creating those happy hormones within the body is really important and, and doing that through the gut uh, microbiome is is, uh, is extremely important. So we've taken a little bit of a, a, a different approach to the way in which we look at this formulation versus our meat-based products. Uh, and utilising, you know, high fibre, high protein, these types of elements and, and putting it in a really tasty um, bar with a number of, of uh, natural botanicals as well. So using uh, things like Davidson plum and kakadu plum and, and these types of elements. So, yeah, cool. yeah it's uh, it's delicious. So An Indigenous um, content and mm. context there. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Mike and Kim are wonderful and I've mm. had um, a number of years um, involved. Did I introduce you to them? You might have, yeah. Actually, yeah. I think that might have been because I, 
Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. I, I, I don't regret it. No. <laughs> As with many things, Charlie, you're the conduit for, for a lot of these sorts of conversations. Well, it was, it was a natural kind of thing to do because mm. we'd met and you'd been to the farm, uh, and I mean, I think early 2020 mm. um, and or late 2019, I can't remember now, but it was bloody dry. Mm. And... Um, but it was a natural thing to do because you guys are doing wonderful things. They were looking for products and, and partnerships to form mm. um, the, uh, with um, f- um, uh, food producers, manufacturers, mm. um, that they could then obviously include on their, their mm. list of, of, um, of suppliers that they can, you know, then create relationships with because a percentage of the um, of, of products sold with the, with the, the thankful logo on it mm. Um, goes back to them to their exactly. their fund, which then mm. they and 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 myself and others on the on the committee kind of then um, put our think caps on and decide where that sort of ends up ends up going. Which I think mm. it's such a it's such a fantastic idea. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, look, I'm so 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 honoured to be part of that. I'm so glad that you guys are on board and that you're developing um, new products around it. Um, so we'll put that. We'll put a link to Thankful in the show notes and mm. Source of Life and um, you guys as well. Um, and if there's any other other things that we get to, that I'll make sure they're they're referenced in the show notes there. Yeah, we're going to give uh, your listeners a bit of a discount. I think. Awesome. Exclusive. Well, let's do that. I okay. Well, I'll uh, better make a note of that. Um, so we'll get Michelle on the case there. Yeah, wearechief.com oh, yeah. forward slash Charlie. Get out. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I might just get a, get a discount too. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> use my discount. You might as well. So yeah, ten dollars off. I think for for Fantastic. any consumer that wants to use that, and obviously, um, portion of that will go to to thankful as with every sale that we that we make. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's fun. awesome. I love it when these things happen. You know, like mm. like a little like a phone call or an email to go. Oh, you guys should, should talk. Mm. And then these things happen. And what I love about you guys, one of the things is that you are really proactive in that space. Like you, mm. you kind of you're really serious about it. And it's it's great that. And I love the story of, um, you know, it, it was born out of necessity. You mm. know, um, uh, V was I did Kokoda in 2006, and um, with our 20 kilo packs on mm. and. Uh, you know, told to keep them light mm. uh, and carried that um, for the journey. And you're absolutely right. There is nothing that is of nutritional value yeah. that is light that is non that is non perishable. Mm. Yeah, exactly. One of our one of our mates, he brought it was a, it was fantastic. Actually, he brought a, a block of parmesan cheese. Oh, really? It was it was because it doesn't go off. Yeah. <clears throat> and he sat there at the end of every day, just, just these little slices of parmesan cheese. Oh. I mean, it's quite heavy, but mm. um, so born of necessity, and then you know, not being sort of you know letting the the the. Debate, the debate get away on you and kind of going, well, we need to actually be conscious and curious about mm. that. So I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, so just another one, health and environment, like just your view given your background and, and you know, I, I, I've seen before and I think it probably still happens a, a, a bit, maybe not quite as much, but, you know, health advocates, especially sort of health and fitness and, you know, personal trainers, <clears throat> a lot of them bang on about, Food is not food is a fuel. Mm. Like you know, it's got to be good quality and whatever. But it's more about you've just got to fuel the body, mm. um, and maybe not picking up the nuances of um, 
you know, where it's from, mm. is it sort of manufactured, is it highly processed? Because a lot of the, the health products that I see are very highly processed mm. manufactured. A lot of it probably does come out of a lab because it's like a we've got to have a bit of this in it and a bit of this yep. and some of the words you can't even kind of mm. um, uh, pronounce. And there's that element to it where, which I, I, I've struggled with is, you know, um, food versus fuel mm. and then also, you know, Pretty profound lack, of, and it's fine. I'm not, not saying that they should, but it's just, it's just it's just more interesting that you know lack of kind of connection with the environment, which you guys have. You know, so you're not just selling something that's a fuel mm. just to get you through the day, but there's a, there's a real there's a lot more colour around it. Mm. Is that something that you found in your early days, or were you more of a fuel versus you you you're more of a fuel than f- food kind of guy? Yeah, you're right. I think a lot of... Um, I'm going to eat, I'm gonna eat, have some food. That. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, some of the some of the highest level athletes that I've seen have the poorest diet because they're, just looking, at, yeah. they're just looking at those calories, you know, yeah. and you speak to a lot of triathletes or, you know, people with those, in, especially endurance sports, you know, they have to eat, you know, <clears throat> 8,000 calories. <laughs> Got a full chili. <laughs> I did. But <coughs> I'll give you the non-chili. <laughs> you You're killing yourself. <coughs> I probably my, my tolerance of chili is probably not as high <laughs> as it could be. Oh, that was a chunk. <clears throat> but the thing is, I keep going back for more. You do. You do. I can't help it. Stuff, mate. <laughs> <Give me that. laughs> Is it don't, I don't want to put anyone off from having the chili. It's actually not too much. But when <clears throat> I've got a really sensitive throat, I think it is. <clears throat> Probably years of reflux that I didn't get on top of and yeah. I am now. <clears throat> when a little bit goes down the wrong way. <clears throat> Bloody hell, sorry. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah non-chili. Yeah, non-chili to, just to soothe it. Um, <clears throat> sorry, mate, back to endurance. Um, yeah, so I think you, you see endurance athletes, some <clears throat> endurance athletes really do just have this calories in, calories out sort of mentality, right? And they're measuring how many calories they need to, you know, to get performance. Uh, and, and that can work, but it's, I think it's a fairly simplistic view of it. And I think that's why we look at so many of our, you know, proponents now of, of Chief is that they're naturopaths, they're nutritionists, they're dietitians, and they look at those other components because it's not as simple as saying, well, it's, this calorie in and this calorie out or um, it's more about the density of the nutrition within the food, right? So, you know, a lot of our products are not necessarily <coughs> high in calories because, you know, they're very nutrient-based whole food products. So it's, you know, you're right. It's um, For us, it's about looking at these elements a little bit more holistically and, yes, looking at it from a, a dietitian's point of view and being able to say, well, you know, grass-fed, grass-finished beef and liver capsules and these sorts of things which are delivering amazing levels of, of protein but also vitamins A, vitamins E, vitamins K, you know, all of these components, uh, it's really, really important. So uh, you're right, it's, it's for us getting that next level of understanding around the products and sort of saying, well, what, is the, what are the constituents and not just saying uh, like a manufactured protein bar that you see on the shelf, um, what's what's the transparency that we can offer and, and draw that back to, you know, our supply chain? Um, and it's, it's super important, right? I mean, I think it's, um, it's one of the main elements that we see um, 
with a lot of the sports people that we support. You know, we support a number of <coughs> high-performance athletes and there's been, a you know, sporting teams that purchase our products as well, That um, which is really good and, and we love that because the dietitians and, and nutritionists see the level that's going into it. And when you look at a lot of the products that are on the shelves today, and if you look at some of the dietary components, we're trying to be high protein, we're trying to be low carb, we're trying to be whole food. And it's really, really difficult to do that mm. unless you use meat, realistically, <clears throat> you know. Um, and that's why even with our collagen bars that, that you love, it's um, it's grass-fed collagen, you know, coming from the same sort of supply <clears throat> chain that we're utilising for our for our meat. Uh, again, that fifth quarter utilising hides and these components to, to create collagen. And that's just being combined with nuts and, and, and these types of things to, to bind it into a, a great product. Mm. We're not using sugar alcohols. We're not using um, dates or dried fruit to bind it together. We're just using um, whole food ingredients to deliver great nutrition. It's, a, <clears throat> it's not just sad, but it's a bit lovely. I was thinking, I don't know where I was going. Oh, I, was leaving, I left Byron Bay yesterday and I was driving <clears throat> in a bit of a rush. And I went, what am I going to have for lunch? Because I hate, you know, I'm going to hate, it's a strong word. <clears throat> I don't like stopping anywhere because it's there's not much to stop between no. Byron Bay. Oliver's, there's mm. one or two along the way and they're okay. <clears throat> um, they'd be really good if they sponsored the podcast though. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> no, <clears throat> um, but, and I thought, and what I, what I love nothing more as a, I guess, a farmer and, well, dare I say male, I am a male. Mm. I'm happy to you identify are. as a male, Aussie male. Red-blooded, you know, cold meat. Mm. Like I love a roast and having cold meat. And I thought, because I know there were some steaks in the freezer when mm. I left home. And I thought, why didn't I cook them last night, mm. eat a few, <clears throat> and then stick them in, you know, and have them chew, which is like not biltong, but it's not, yeah. not the, you know. And I was thinking, <clears throat> that's all I need. Yeah. That's all I would I would have. And, you know, like so I was thinking, how do you advocate that? You know, is there a... <clears throat> Um, I mean, it's not something you can package up and put on a servo, I guess, but mm. I'm turning, encouraging people to go, if you, if you want to pack for the kids, you know, mm. and for the family, driving a long distance, just put some cold meat yeah. aside. Yeah. Now, that might be very exciting. Maybe it's a little bit of relish. Yeah, maybe yeah. a bit of salt and pepper. Yep. Maybe maybe Chief has a has like a, a dipping. You have like a powder no, dip. That's a good idea. Dip, dip your dip your product development. You know. <laughs> no, but it's funny we're having this conversation. It was totally a, a separate to you know I mean, my travel yesterday, mm. um, and I was thinking, why you know why didn't I do that? And it's like maybe a bridge too far to even think about that when you're kind of rushing to get out the door. But well, you know, well, convenience it's about preparation. Is, yeah, and convenience plays a huge role in that. And I think that's the. One of the areas that drew us to, to this sort of segment as well with, with Chief is that it's really hard to get good nutrition in a mm. convenient sort of snack form. You and, know? and simple. And simple, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, you know what it's like sort of trying to get out the door when you've got a couple of kids in tow and that's all these types of things. And, um, you know, that's, that's I think one of the roles that Chief plays is making, you know, good quality food from a, a, a great source available in a convenient way. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, we, you know, I think you used to like the lamb bar that we had originally. Oh, yeah. You used to. Yeah. And that's basically just tastes like a lamb roast. Oh, it's delicious. The next day, you know, like <clears throat> the beef bar is the same, just sort of tastes a bit like mm. a beef roast the, the next day. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think you, it's, it is a challenge, right, to get that stuff conveniently. Let's get to, <clears throat> you mentioned before RCS conference, and mm. I think from memory the order of service is that next week, so those of you listening to this interview, 
your the next week's interview is um, going to be a mashup mm. of some interviews I did, um, video interviews which have stripped the audio out of and, and mashed it up into a um, RCS conference um, interview. Mm, and there was right. a number of <clears throat> number of people we interviewed there. Um, that was a wonderful conference, wasn't it? And Di- was it Diana Rogers um, mm. was there. Did you get to speak with her? Did you interview did. her? You yeah, did. yeah, yeah. So right. you and I were both sort of interviewing people madly yeah. throughout the breaks, yep. trying to yep. trying to do that. So yeah, we, we were able to to speak to Diana, um, Terry McCosker, Charlie Massey. Great. Um, so it was it was um, fantastic, um, and that's actually going to be part of our uh, chiefs. Regen month, so October is uh, our Regen month. So we'll be having a lot of that content um, dispersed through throughout our month of October as well. So um, that'll be like social media and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So well, or website or both. Yeah, both. So we'll, we'll be promoting it, and I mean, I, th- I think that probably speaks to uh, the role that Chief plays here. Really, is is as a brand, is to try and educate consumers around some of the broader topics which are going on within agriculture. Uh, and you're right, RCS was, I um, mean, absolutely amazing. It was such a inspiring uh, event, um, and to speak with some of the participants, and and certainly to speak to Terry was. Uh, I know you've had Terry on before, and mm-hmm. he he's uh, he's just amazing. And to see the work that he's done. I think he said, what do you say, about 10,000 farmers through Clients. I mean, uh, yeah, I, the program? I, I can't remember, to be honest, um, yeah. but there's a lot and so influential over the last 30 years in the mm. in the businesses and lives of, of, of so many people. I wouldn't be surprised if it was 10,000, probably yeah. something like that. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it was, it, was, it was wonderful. And I think to see the messages that uh, just to hear from some of those uh, industry leaders, whether it be the likes of... Diana Rogers or or Charlie Massey um, was fantastic, and then some of the other people that I hadn't I hadn't mm. really been exposed to previously were, was just uh, was amazing. Um, Jacqueline McGlade, I spoke with mm-hmm. the day after the conference. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like she just such a small snippet of, of of her whole life that we even heard. We didn't even hear about her life, and I only had fifty minutes with her because mm. she'd been to bed at three. She got to bed at three thirty that morning, not because she was on the piss or anything. <laughs> She had conference calls with the UK. Right. I'm there at seven. She had to be at the MLA by <clears throat> half past eight or something. Wow. Um, this is up in Brizzy, and her life is absolutely fascinating. She's she's coming up later in the in the in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Catherine Trebek, I spoke. I called up mm. with her in Canberra the other day. Walter Yainer, mm, he was fantastic. What was his? Do you remember his his quote of the weekend? No, remind me. Rootability. Root. That's right. <laughs> Well, there, was some, there was some serious rootability. Uh, in that, uh, <laughs> it was great. It was, uh, yeah, that's, such, that's the sort of stuff that I hadn't been exposed to previously. But hearing those guys talk and the level of um, the level of information and data that they had mm. around some of their studies, and uh, Lorraine Gordon as well, speaking to to her, and, and uh, you know, these are serious academics that, mm. are, that are behind this stuff and the studies that they've done. So it, that'll be fantastic um, to hear some of those. So you got Walter on? I've got Walter on. He's coming up later in the season. Yep. Um, I caught up with him in Canberra, the Botanic Gardens in Canberra, which he mm. had a lot to do with in the oh, – he, he has a student at um, – he was, I think it was ANU or certainly in Canberra there as part of the, his sort of finishing his last year. Um, he was involved with the creation as a as a kind of interny student person mm. um, of the – Rainforest 
Yeah, right. They've got the in Canberra, not in exactly, the Botanic Gardens. Not exactly subtropical. No, this is the thing. It's mm. fascinating what they've done. It's microclimate, so there's, mm. it's, I wouldn't say artificial, but it's just in, in regeneration of the um, that dry, scaliferal kind of landscape there. That It probably wasn't ever rainforest, but as, in terms of an example of with um, particular, you know, um, methods and practices there, mm. it can be created. So I caught up with him there. He's he's just uh, just a and he got his whiteboard out. We had the whiteboard. <laughs> there was a whiteboard in the room. Just it was a classic. There was a whiteboard in the room, and I didn't have it behind. He goes, "Oh, do you want to use the whiteboard? Or do you want to use? Okay, radio Walter." Um, and who else? Oh, Sheree Gooding, she was at the conference. She didn't speak, though, but she's mm-hmm. coming up um, in the um, episode six as well. There's probably a few more I've forgotten about there. Um, Sarah McCrum, she did a mm. great um, talk on money, which is, yes. an, you know, really interesting addition. Not addition because it was like, oh, what else can we do? But more like it's not kind of what you'd think, you know, regenerative mm. farming, but it was really fascinating stuff and mm. um, and often forgotten about. Yeah. Have you read her book? She sent me the book. <clears throat> I haven't read it yet. I'm really pumped to read it because it keeps yeah. on popping up in my mind and, you know, yeah. just sort of like the universe is saying, read this book. Yeah. Well, Did uh, you read it? Yeah. Terry put me onto it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, fascinating. I mean, it's... it's How is of, your relationship with money? Jeez, um, that's bloody personal. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, because, because, I, because I understand that it's about creating a relationship with money and actually like the yeah. the the the, uh, the kind of... The entity of money, or the the yes. intelligence of money, as the opposed energy, to the energy yeah. of money, <clears throat> and it's, it's really fascinating because it's written. The book is written by money, and she is kind of the conduit for it. So mm. it feels it, it feels like it's a message from money, and it was it was re, it's really interesting. I think to understand money as as an energy transfer, mm. and I think money is often looked at in a negative way or it's kind of, you know, we have all of these sayings, you know, you you, you can't buy happiness and, you know. It's the root of all evil. Yeah, yeah. And all these types of things. And so I, I often think that it's a, um, it's a very malign sort of topic. Um, <coughs> but, you know, money is extremely important um, for individuals. We all, we all need to, we all need to have money and we all need to be able to thrive with money. And um, I think certainly in a business context, it's extremely important as well, right? And I think, we look at, you know, sustainability. If you look at the, the word sustainability, like as a business, we need to be sustainable. We need mm. to be able to, to create profits and be able to then, you know, grow so that we can have a bigger impact. And I think that's yeah, it. It's often maligned in, in mm. uh, especially I feel like in agricultural circles. I don't know if you, how you feel about that. It, it's sort of, it seems like it's, it's kind of like, oh, this, this guy's doing, he's doing too well. You know, he's got the new ute. He's he's doing too well. Well, I guess it's whether it's farming or just generally, you know, the tall poppy syndrome. Mm. I think is um, you know rears its its ugly head in all facets of life. Um, and you know, <clears throat> I remember even Tony Robbins. I remember doing a um, unleash the power within years ago, <clears throat> and he. I guess he was in Australia, so he referenced it. But he said, "You you Aussies." You know, you got this thing called tall poppy syndrome, mm. <clears throat> which is interesting. That, that that may that may be something that he hasn't experienced elsewhere. You know, yeah. and that's that's really a part of our culture. So it's whether to do with money or um, status or whatever. I guess that's kind of how yeah. culturally um, is a thing. Really. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I certainly feel like I grew up in a 
household where um, money was probably felt of or thought of negatively Mm. Uh, and it takes a long time to sort of break those habits and those teachings. Uh, It it is a real challenge to break. Uh, And I think so, you know, understanding your relationship to money is is really important and being able to um, potentially break some of those thought patterns uh, that you inherit um, throughout your upbringing is, re- is really important as well. Um, Brock, mm. what's your genius? Oh, jeez, have you changed this last question around? Is this different to? Uh, I ask it sometimes. Mm. I don't. I, I, we, we are going to do a little Q and A after for our mm. Patreon members. Jeez, mm. um, what is my genius? But we thought, I thought I'd throw this one in. I usually put in this one. Well, I don't always ask it. Sometimes mm. I just totally forget. But what <laughs> what is yours? Um, that's a great question. I, I think. Uh, and you, you you can't be humble. Like you've got to just pump your tires up here. Right. Okay. Um. Or well, just be honest. Let's put it that way. Just be honest. Yeah. No, I think um, I think my I'd love to say that my genius is that. Say it. You're going to say it. Yeah. Okay. You're making me own this, aren't you? Mm. Uh, look, I think my genius is that I'm able to I'm able able to understand what people want in their lives. That sounds a little bit a little bit missing, but I, I feel like with with um, with products, I really understand what people want, uh, and I think um, you know, understanding that to a really, really deep degree, and understanding in some in some instances, um, you know, the, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a way in which I can communicate uh, to consumers uh, around what they need, both from a environmental point of view, from a health point of view, uh, and try and encapsulate all of those things uh, within a product that, that speaks to people. Can you weave that into your job title at Chief? What is your current job title? Uh, current job title is uh, co-founder and CEO. Can we just put some colour into that, like Tony Robbins style? Yeah. Um, well, look, I think that the great thing about Chief is that we're, we're, we're growing, right, and I think my job's changing as, as we grow. So, you know, previously I was, I was looking at a lot of the sales operations uh, as well as the product development, and I think now, you know, as we grow, we're looking into to new markets uh, and, and more product development. So product development I love. It's mm. a passion. So I think, you know, if we talk about my genius, that's kind of what I love doing. I love being able to create products and have um, something tangible that we can sort of hang on to and point to as a, as a fantastic product. As we grow, you know, I'm, I'm finding my, my role managing the team and looking after the team and helping the individuals within the team grow. And that is in itself really, really um, rewarding to see these people grow and, and to see the roles in which they occupy develop further as well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a changing one. You know, sort of mentioned we're, we're selling into the Middle East at the moment. We're uh, <coughs> oh, yeah. up in Singapore. Uh, Japan is, is on the radar and, and um, the US. So we're setting up a, a supply chain into the US. Um, so we're heading over there next week to, to look at that. So, you know, Spreading that message more and being able to speak to more people is is really part of the the uh, the remit at the moment for the job. But you did just dodge that question, though. <laughs> you could be like the 
excuse the pun, the chief, the chief something or other. Uh, yeah, the chief. I'd love to be. Um, what should what should chief. the excitement <clears throat> officer? Chief That's it. That'll officer. do. That's very Rob, uh, Tony Robbins, yeah. the chief excitement officer. Yeah. Or the I know when I did one of maybe it was a date with destiny or something. It was like give yourself in, in a family context like the chief fun time dad. Yeah. You know, like really give it some punch. Yeah. You know, I like that. I, th- I definitely feel like uh, well, the, ch- the chief of um, exceptional experiences in mm. you know kind of thing for the, for the from a family point of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or it could be for a customer, chief of customer experience satisfaction. Have <laughs> 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 to have to work. On that. I think that might be. No, I'm dragging that one out a bit. No, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think um, <clears throat> you know, experience is great. Like, and I think what what we're trying to communicate to consumers is that you know. This goes further than just buying a product and eating it, mm. you know, and trying to understand all of the different components that go into it and, um, you know, building community and building all those types of elements behind it is really, really important. So uh, Chief Excitement Officer, we'll, we'll run with that. Yeah. That's, That's it. We put that, put that to the team and just see what yeah. they come up with. They might not, but then you have the, but, but then you have the fun of then give, branding them with some different ones good. as well. We've, we're we're going to do some staff reviews soon, so yeah. that might be the just put the um, inject the color. Yeah, we, we're going to wrap it up. Um, mm. Go to the Q and A in a second. Um, anyone who wants to be part of the uh, listen to the Q and A with Brock, uh, sign up to Patreon at charliearnett.com.au, and for ten dollars a month, you'll get transcripts of all our um, all our um, interviews. You'll get Q and As. You'll get uh, a weekly uh, um, video from me is where I'm where I am and what I'm doing. And hopefully that's of some interest. And then a, a monthly webinar um, with our with our previous guests. Um, so that's always good fun. Mm. That's always good fun. Um, right, Brock, Brocky, thank you, mate. Mate, we'll wrap it up. Um, we'll stretch the legs. Um, I'll recover from the chili chili <laughs> biltong, and uh, I have now. I think I've got a bit of chili in my eye. I must have rubbed my eye there. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's fine. It's not. We stop watering, Um, and we'll do the Q and A. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Was uh, fun. Appreciate everything that you do as well, mate. That's um, you know, not just for for opening our eyes, but you know, for opening many people's eyes in terms of uh, region and the journey. So, thank you, mate. Appreciate you. It's fun, and thank you for you and your family for for us for you know um, taking over your not at all your house anytime as the sun. Pushes through the clouds there. And next week on The Regenerative Journey, my guests are actually many. We've put together uh, the audio from a number of interviews I did at the RCS Convergence Conference in Brisbane back in July. Uh, Dave McLean, Stu Austin, Sherry Gooding, Donna Rogers, to name a few. Um, it's going to be a ripper. It was such a lovely, wonderful conference, and it was great to be able to grab a few um, in the breaks we had just to talk to them about uh, what they thought of the conference, the highlights, uh, their, what they're going to take home in action, and um, you know why they were there. Next week on The Regenerative Journey. podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.